three-point range, back for more. And we're actually going to try to be a little topical this week because uh, instead of timeless, we're going to be timely, at least at the outset. Uh, this is Mike Berardino, joined as always by Tim Crothers and the man who will lead us off this week, the scout, Kimball Crosley. Well, I'm excited, guys, because, of course, this past weekend we had the NFL draft cavalcade, three days of NFL drafting. And if you saw the draft, you know that the Jets have turned the corner and they're going to the playoffs this year yeah. behind their new starting quarterback. Hey, do you guys want to guess who that new starting quarterback is? Zach Wilson. Tim? Uh, oh, they traded Sam Darnold? Yep, they traded Sam mm. Darnold. I didn't want mm. that to happen. Yep. And, and mm. so it's not going to be either of those guys. What if I – and it's not going to be Zach Wilson, no. the, the Mormon Manziel. No, okay. you know what? That's the one part of the draft the Jets had that I'm not happy about. No, it's going to be the kid from Green Bay. Oh, Aaron Rodgers coming? No, not Aaron Rodgers. What are you not, talking about? Not that kid. He's not a kid. He's an old man. Yeah. No, this this guy was the fourth round pick by the Jets in 2020. He hails from Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, out of Florida International. His name is James Morgan. He is second to Zach Wilson on the depth chart, and he is the guy that I am rooting for to take over the reins, the unnamed quarterback, the unknown quarterback, and lead this young Jets team to the playoffs. That's what I want. That's my goal. If not him, bring in another one of those veterans that people think can't play, the Joe Flacco types or whatever. Bring him back. Bring in another guy like that. Whoever, I just want the Jets to do it without Zach Wilson. All right? So, James Morgan actually had, like, you know, it's funny. That's where it's like you go to the, these quarterback things. If you read his scouting report, it's like, oh, he can make all the throws. I'm like, well, gee, sounds like we're on our way to being a pretty good quarterback if we can make all the throws. But then you get into the finer points about maybe his leadership skills and the soft factors that I honestly don't know. I really don't believe are the keys. I think it's more – Chicken and the egg. I think you put the good team around him and he looks good. You put the bad team around him and looks bad. But maybe I'm wrong. You know, we went through all that last year with the NFL and Tom Brady. But I do love what the Jets did after Zach Wilson. All right. And I am concerned about Zach Wilson. If you watch that draft, okay, it was why I'm concerned. Because if you think this innocent boy from Utah that's played a very low level against a very low level competition is going to come into New York City where they chew him up and spit him out, okay, and and with all this pressure on him and jump in right away and turn this team around, no way. I just, I'll be shocked if that happens, and I do trust Joe Douglas, the new GM, but I just don't like that pick. I do like when he moves up in the draft in the first round after that and takes a guard. I love it. A guard, yes. No-name person that's going to make a difference. And then the rest of his draft seemed good. He addressed some serious needs. Yes, they need another wide receiver. And and you guys, I want you to comment on this because you might know, well, Tim might know especially, he drafted a Michael Carter from UNC, a running back, <laughs> which was a need, and a Michael Carter from Duke. Now that's going to be fun, a defensive back, which was also a need. So I am fired up about this draft. Okay, go ahead. 
you guys can pop my balloon, tell me why I'm crazy and that it's just wrong me to even have hope. Just, you know, blow my hope already. Go ahead. Well, I, once once they have traded Sam Darnold, the, I mean, serious, in all seriousness, they do need a quarterback. So are you saying you, you would have taken, you'd rather take a different quarterback or are you? Yes. No, I, I definitely would have, especially the way the draft fell. I, I, I mean, you know, the, the kid from Stanford might be good. You know, we all know that, that it feels like the great quarterbacks can come later in the first round or later in the draft. Then earlier, it feels like they're wrong more than they're right at the top of the draft. So, yes, I would have loved for them to make a trade like, you know, um, uh, uh, where they trade down again and give up that third pick and let somebody second pick and let somebody take Zach Wilson and then take whoever comes later, whether it's, you know, Mac Jones later who went 15 or the kid from Stanford who went in the second round. You know, I would have loved that and get more talent because, again, I think it's about your pure talent base and there's no secret they need more good players. And I would have loved to do that instead of like go all in on this guy that I just think and it, it puts less pressure on the guy you take if if he's not the second pick. And we've we've done this over and over the Jets. <laughs> over and over we've thought the savior, oh yeah, it was just supposed to be Sam Darnold or Mac Mark Sanchez. So yes, I would have loved if they traded down and just addressed that need later or bring in a veteran and let let the the kid you picked fourth last year maybe maybe he's young and good like he again he seems to have the raw tools and then i don't know that's the mystery can you not coach these guys up in the nfl is it really that hard to say like hey don't throw that ball there you know here you know take a look at your blind side make sure the blitz isn't coming i don't know it's a mysterious thing I really don't want to talk about the Jets because, you know, I, I like the Dolphins, or at least I pretend to still like the Dolphins. And I would just say that, uh, you know, the Dolphins maybe got a little too cute in that. Maybe as a, you could, as a Jets fan, could react to the fact that Dolphins traded back out of three and then they moved back up to six and they come away with a receiver. I'm not even sure they got the best Alabama receiver in the draft. The guy, I, I want to be on record with this because I have watched enough of the, because in my gambling uh, research. I did watch enough of college that football. That didn't take last long year. to bring gambling into it. Well, I think it's taking over everything. I think that Action Network just sold for something in the ten figures. But uh, so good on that guy. But and that's a good that's a good website. Can but, I interrupt uh, you, Mike? Has anyone ever come and either broken one of your fingers or threatened to? <laughs> fingers. Uh, it's no. a simple yes or no, and then you can get back to what you're saying. I only deal with. Uh, DraftKings and uh, is they, that they have, DraftKings is very nice about it. They give me at least four seconds to. Do I have to pay in advance? Actually, you know, so you get the money no. in advance. Is it a yes or a no? I've never been injured for any of that. Uh, so have you far. been threatened? So have far. someone ever come yeah. and threatened to? I, I just do it just to. Yes or no? It's of... simple, and then move on. <laughs> oh my God, Tim! No somebody comments. has come and no tried. <laughs> oh it's God. okay. Oh, I'm scared it's now, okay. but there may, there may be a guy in the room right now. <laughs> I'm not at liberty to say. So all I all I want to say is is that uh, that guy uh, from the tight end from Florida uh, who has like abnormally yeah. long arms, like unbelievable. What, what more do you want from a tight end? And, and every game I watch Florida, Kyle Trask is is interesting and, and is you know going to be brought along. Um, 
to replace Brady, it looks like, in Tampa. Well, the guy he was throwing to made Kyle Trask look so good so many times for Florida was this tight end no one could cover. He has, like, rubber arms, and he's not he doesn't drop anything if he gets his hands on it. And that guy, that's the guy the Dolphins could have, and they just stayed at three. And if you want to make Tua look good, give him somebody who's uncoverable in the middle of the field who, who just is another Gronk, maybe beyond Gronk. That guy, of all these people who were drafted, uh, and I really like Trevor Lawrence. I, I don't know what the Urban Meyer offense will look like in the NFL, but I really, obviously, I like Trevor Lawrence. But I think the tight end from Florida is the guy who's who's got the best chance to make the Hall of Fame out of that whole group. I want to be on record. Check back in 20 years. Um, so the yeah, Jets. The other thing is, um, you know, I, I don't think we need to go too far down. But we don't really know. Does anybody? Did you really watch three days of the draft, or just kind of monitor? You were too busy to watch it. You weren't. Really you don't watch three. You, we don't, you check we don't in. You know. see how your team's doing. We you don't, don't know. Don't. I mean, some guys do. I'm sure those crazy people watch every second of it. But no, of course not. And even Mel Kiper, you know, it's just it's just all a big act. And McShay and everybody, everybody's so sure of everything on these three days. And this is what it's going to be. We don't know. I don't even think the teams know. There's such a great amount of luck involved and and uh ian book i'll just say too i'd like to be on record that i thought new orleans uh, getting uh questioned for spending a fourth round pick on ian book who doesn't blow you away with arm strength and doesn't blow you away with any of the measurables and lost seemingly every very important game at notre dame except the clemson game uh the first time i think he's going to be a very nice backup and i think he'll be when he gets his chances he might just surprise and in that system with it made drew Brees flourish he's got drew Brees type qualities the offensive coordinator at notre dame was saying that two years ago that he sat ian book down and said why can't you be another drew Brees? you know undersized guy not a, not a cannon for an arm just outthink the opponent out tough the opponent just lead the team and when ian book gets his chance i think he'll do fine so i good on them uh in new orleans and he's certainly got a, a quarterback uh, whisper in sean payton to to get him going. And I don't think it's going to take too much to beat out Jameis Winston. So maybe by, by week six, Ian books the quarterback there. All right. Well, um, uh, Tim, did you have anything really else on that? Tim, on the Carters? Tim, Tim what about the Carters? What about the, the Jets, Carter thing? The Jack, well, Michael Carter supposedly has, has some sort of knee issues. So I guess oh. that's why he dropped, dropped down. Uh, I mean, I think he's, I think he's a fine back. He's not that big. I think he's going to have a hard time surviving in the NFL long term, but, but uh, he's a good back. Uh, Jets suck, have always sucked, probably will always suck. doesn't really matter who they draft. But I would like to nominate myself, as I often do, for uh, another position, and that would be uh, chief drafter for any NFL team that's interested. <laughs> interested. Uh. Not that I really I – don't, I don't ever want to make an actual pick. I just want to manipulate the draft. I think that is the most fascinating part of the draft for me. Um, those of you who who either are currently or have been in the uh, Chapel Hill Rotisserie League know know that I am a, a, a wheeler dealer at heart and would love to just be the guy who who I don't again I don't want to make the pick any picks I just want to be the guy who it's it's time for our pick well there's nobody that we're really excited about I'm gonna I want to reach out to every team and see what I can get I I I firmly believe that I could just 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 build up picks and picks and picks and picks and picks just by doing the homework of knowing all right who needs who's going to want this pick uh, I just the, what makes me th- made me think about it is is my our our Carolina Hurricanes Panthers uh, you know took had the eighth pick everybody thought 
thought uh, they might take Justin Fields. They ended up taking the cornerback out of South Carolina. There is no way you couldn't have turned that pick into something much greater in terms of capital uh, and then gotten that same guy 8, 10, 15 picks later. Uh, and I just think that is such a shame when you, when you pick somebody that you know is not going to be picked by another team for several picks and you don't get something for it. You should never take a pick, make a pick, unless you're dying to get a guy at that spot. And if you're not, you should always trade down. And it, I, it just didn't make any sense to me what, what the Panthers did. I thought they could have, surely they could have talked somebody into the fact that now now is the time to get Justin Fields and and uh, they didn't do it. And it, it was just a waste. And I think that would just be a super fun position to be in. So I'm, I'm, I'm officially volunteering at a, at my usual uh, meager salary needs for uh, for that position. But that'd be perfect. I mean, if you're the time mm-hmm. coach during the season and you could spend a lot yep. of time in the off season as the wheeler yep. dealer. Yep. Oh, Maybe you it. could be the you could be the clock management guy for when the teams are on the clock. Basically, you're just <laughs> letting them know. Okay, we got we got 60 seconds. We got 30. That's seconds. all part of it. You yeah. got to work under yeah. the gun in that situation. Mm-hmm. I'm oh, all yeah. about it. Did you guys happen to see uh, the guy who might have worked the board the best, it seemed like, and, and again, I, I didn't watch that much, but I happen to watch the New York Giants general manager, former Panthers GM, right, Dave Gettleman, and yep. he drafted a guy from University of Georgia, but did you hear how he said the word Georgia? No. It was the most no. staggering thing. It's probably on, on YouTube now, everything is, but he, I believe it was something like, it wasn't even a, a Ray Charles inspired, it was just like, I, I, it was it was insane. It was like Al Davis, uh, you know, meets uh, I don't know this because he's got a very thick New York accent. This guy Dave Gellum, he said something like Jaja. It, I mean, I it was just, it was awesome. It was the highlight of the draft for me to hear him say Jaja. Something like that was pretty much what he said. And so uh, if you and Reese Davis, who I think is very good on this, it was his first year hosting it after they took away Trey Wingo's job. Uh, uh, Reese Davis said that he'd like to see Dave Gettleman just draft only Jaja players the rest of the way. It would have been fun. I just hear him say that. All right. That's I, think, I think I just realized for the first time that those Jaja. are two different people, Trey Wingo and Reese Davis. <laughs> no, they're quite different. <laughs> no, quite I was ready to go to my deathbed, and I would have thought, that's the uh, same guy. You're wrong. You're been. wrong. Reese Davis is good. I'd be, I, and they're both solid. But I, I would be happy to be Reese Davis's agent. I think he's always very reliable and, and smart guy. And Trey Wingo, I'm I not think, would be bad. Guy. Take Move on. I can see. I can see my my third point disintegrating. Yeah, in front yeah, of we me. Gotta get Let's move right. on. Well, the second big event of the weekend, really be- bigger than this stupid NFL draft, to me, is the Kentucky Derby. And I, um, I just tuned in for like the last thirty minutes of hours long pregame. So if if this was covered fully, I apologize. But in the, in the Mike Tarico led pregame that I watched, and as they kind of said everything, and I would have you know that uh, as I looked at the tote board and I saw the odds, I uh, you never pick the favorite at the Derby. And I did, and I know who Bob Baffert is, and I know that it, Bob Baffert it, with a 12-to-1 shot in his hands is dangerous. And then I learned while watching the run-up that this one particular horse, Medina Spirit, had been purchased for $1,000 as a yearling. Well, you know, you guys might not know, but I grew up around horse racing. You should know that. And on a horse farm... Well, a three-year-old horse is running, that's what they run. They run at age three in the Kentucky Derby. So imagine deciding, having to decide uh, from a baseball perspective what somebody's going to be like 
you know, three times the age that you're looking at them. So I'm thinking for Kimball, it might be like trying to do amateur scouting for a future major leaguer when he's six or seven. And so that's what, <laughs> that's what you're doing. Imagine going to T-ball and trying to find the best player in T-ball who's going to be the best in the world, you know, at three times that age. That's what it's like to go to what they call the yearling sales. So I'm here to salute and I don't think she was saluted at all in a broadcast. It was just re repeated references. This horse was purchased for $1,000 at the yearling sales in Ocala, Florida. And I've been to those. And we once bought a horse when I was a little boy. And maybe it was about for 500 bucks. So it wasn't that different. That horse, I forget who it was. It did not go to run in the Kentucky Derby, much less win it. But this woman, Christy Whitman, not the former New Jersey governor. Her <laughs> name is Christy Whitman. And she is a visionary. This woman found this horse. This is what she does. She goes and buys horses that nobody else has any interest in. And in this one particular time, she flipped it a year later, unfortunately, for 35 grand. So she made 35 times on her investment. But she, this is what she said. And as a scout, I'd like to hear if any of this resonates with Kimball, as I would think it would. Imagine she's in the back area. There's just just hundreds of horses and out of all that she picks this one horse with breeding that nobody cared about the the sire the dam none of that jumped out at you any of the measurables she looked at the way the horse walked around the ring that's all it did this little horse this one this one-year-old horse and she said um, he was really well balanced he had a great build to him with a good hip and great top line he was very correct and athletic he was all the things I looked for when looking for horses, but no one was looking at him. I knew he was going to go cheap because of his pedigree, but I liked the horse. So to me, the best scouting, it's over for the year, the best scouting job anybody will do was done back in 2019 in Ocala, Florida by this Christy Whitman who does this for a living and didn't get, she wasn't even at Louisville. She wasn't at uh, Churchill Downs for this race. They should have flown her in or let her be there. Instead, it was all the winner's circle. It was all about Baffert, seven-time Derby trainer champion, wonderful, except there's some controversy with Bob Baffert. I'm not going to bore you with all that, but he's not. He's, it's kind of Bill Belichick, and they sat him down. If you, you guys didn't watch, they had a little thing where Belichick and Baffert sat down before the race and did a little interview, kind of a three-way three -way interview with, uh, with Tariko running it, and it was good. It was insightful, but they both have controversy. They both cut some corners along the way. To me, the... The hero of the day was this Christy Whitman who found this horse with the best scouting job anybody will have done all year. Of course, it was done when this horse was the equivalent of a six or seven-year-old baseball player. All right, a couple well, of things. Reading okay. that, hang on, reading that reading that, that somewhat lengthy quote, yeah. that, actually smacked of, that actually smacked of preparation, Mike. I thought preparation wasn't allowed on this, <laughs> on this podcast. Not for me. Not for now. Well, I, that I that sounded like preparation to me. Unless mm. I, I don't know how else you're conjuring that quote, or maybe you're making it up. Whatever. That's how strongly uh, I feel about the topic. I actually did a, a screenshot of the Blood Horse article about this woman mm -hmm. who's who's just just not getting enough uh, attention. At any point, did the uh, did the scouting report the scouting report uh, detail whether or not the horse could kick a field goal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yes. Pod 11. Yes, I know, H. Gus. Um, no, no, there was no talk about that. Um, but uh, that would be kind of the sixth tool of horse well, racing. Wait a second. If, you can, if, if you she's so smart, 
Mm-hmm. Why did she sell the horse for thirty-five thousand? Well, I think she runs a kind of a hand-to-mouth operation there. I know that it's a very, very low-rung. She situation. flips. She yes. flips horses. She's a horse flipper. She, she, she flips horses. If she yeah. was really successful, well, she'd be a wealthy times, horse She made a thirty-five x return on her investment, but um, uh, she could have made a lot more yes, than that. Yes, that's the problem. Is this guy? Oh, by well, the way, so, oh, go ahead. Well. So you keep saying this like six or seven year old. Well, what are, yes. horses don't live? What do they live? 14, 15, 20 years? Well, they can go 20 years, yeah. Yeah. So uh-huh. it's it's like you're doing the same math that you are with like the you know, dogs and cats and all that stuff that in horse uh, years. So so yeah, I mean I, I don't know. Like uh Well the physical change, I'm getting at the physical change between this tiny little horse that's as barely as tall yeah. as a tabletop well, at one, and then by age three it can go 35 miles an hour, you know, a mile and a, and no, a quarter and, and amaze no, the world. It's impressive. And, and, and what, but at the same time, like, I wonder what the other people saw because what we do as scouts, I, and I tell people a lot, like, like you start forming your opinion when you see them walk off the bus. So yeah, similarly, when they're just mm. walking around, moving around, you know, um, you know, in pregame, you're forming a lot of opinions because face it, especially when you're going to lower levels, you know, of the minor leagues, you know, you're, you're looking for thoroughbreds. You're looking for those bodies that are just different and better. But, you know, again, that's only part of the equation, but that is that you start filtering. And most most scouts start looking at the same players. And I'm surprised that this horse must have looked pretty impressive, you know, to, you know, well, and I'm surprised that other people didn't see the same impressive things. And sometimes that happens when you have a, a freak, right, that people doubt whether it's a, a very short Jose Altuve that that some people don't take seriously, but other people might see like, hey, he's got the tools to do it, you know, or uh, a six six Dave Winfield that some people might be too long, and and other people think, no, 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 this can work. So I don't know. That's 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 kind of interesting, but uh, but I do think it's a, a little bit unfair to say that you know that uh, um, best scouting job ever, whatever. Who knows? Well, well let me let me put a little more of a of a now go to Tim, but let me let me put a little more of a financial uh, context to it. One thousand dollars was the minimum bid. That's all. That was you. That was the only way you could get the horse was to at least bid a thousand. And most of the horses that were there that day in Ocala in 2019 had uh, much higher minimum bids. This one had no reserve, but that was that's the minimum bid they even talk about there. So. This woman raised her hand, Christy Whitman, one time. No one else bid on the horse. That just doesn't happen. So well, total afterthought. And I also want to say that the man who bought the horse um, uh, a year later at the two-year-old auction when she flipped it for a 35x profit at that same auction paid $1.35 for another two-year-old horse who flamed out. And that happens all the time. These people, the billionaires, the, the multimillionaires, they think nothing of spending seven figures on a horse that's never run before. So for a thousand dollar horse in two years to do this, it is in modern times unprecedented and it's an awesome story. And I just, you know, she's getting a Who sired this horse, Mike? Who sired this horse? A horse named Protonico, who no one had ever heard of. Well, that's what's interesting, right? That maybe that's, they were all caught up in not what they saw in the body. But but what you know like a lot of the horse no, racing is genetics. They didn't is, is like genetics. they didn't like the sire. They like no, that's the, what I'm saying. Yeah. They didn't like the sire, and that's what I'm saying. Is like they're so caught up in 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 the well, lineage the of the horse these stuff, days that they're not the really looking. Yeah, this okay. is a pure scouting. The movement of it, 
Uh, she just saw something in the way the horse, you know, you talk about, you watch a picture, how the levers work or whatever. Uh, you know, it's easy, whatever. This horse, just this little tottering horse, I, you know, I, it, I've seen a picture of it. They had it in, on the Blood Horse uh, uh, magazine article uh, at age one was, uh, was you know, just, just, just tiny little spindly legs. It's an amazing feat to pick that horse for that low of sum and then hit the jackpot. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to cut her in on the millions that this horse will now gain and will go on to become a little standard stud for, you know, tens of thousands, if not 500,000 a pop uh, someday as a derby winner. But uh, Tim, have you, do you have any thoughts on, on the horse racing? And, and uh, do you think I'm off in terms of the, this would, this is the closest thing to going to send Kimball out to a T-ball game to find the <laughs> next, to find the next A-Rod? I think part of it is dumb luck, honestly. I really do. I mean, this, this as, as you say, if this is a tiny little horse, uh, you know, how many tiny little guys, how many tiny little baseballs or baseball players are out there uh, all failing miserably, and then one of them, one of them becomes Jose Altuve. I, I, I don't know that there's really as, as much as convincing as that, that quote you gave us was. I, I, don't, I don't really believe that... Uh, there was anything about the horse that day that that anybody would have looked at and said, "Yeah, that horse is going to win the Kentucky Derby someday." I think it's kind of just you know who knows what's going to happen in the next two years to get them to that point. And this one, whatever needed to happen, happened. Um, Bob Baffert probably probably drugged it up to <laughs> to uh, levels that were were just under the the catchable point, but not not too much. But uh, I will just say about the Kentucky Derby in general that uh, I love it. It's on my bucket list. Never been there. Would love to do it uh, someday. Uh, I, I'm, I'm all for greatest two minutes in sports. I do think that the pregame show that you mentioned is, is probably the worst four hours in sports. Uh, and I get kind of sick of the hats. But, uh, and I can do without the 17 beauty shots of mint juleps. But the two minutes are outstanding watch it every year religiously um and uh yeah someday hope to hope to get to churchill downs uh and see that before we leave I, the horse oh go ahead tim do you have more no that's it i'm done i'm ready to move well, on well before ahead. we leave the horse thing um uh mike did your horse end up dead in your bed <laughs> the little godfather action no uh you already yeah, said that you wouldn't threaten, but maybe they, yeah. they they chopped off the horse's head and put it in your bed. Did that happen? All I to remember you? was this was one of those examples where again we bought the horse that nobody wanted. They did it because I, like Christy Whitman, unqualified, like eight-year-old me, pointed to the horse and said, Daddy, I like that horse. And Daddy bought the horse, and then the horse <laughs> failed and he never let me forget it. The horse failed. But and Daddy uh, bought you a pony. Daddy bought me and it wasn't a pony. I wasn't gonna ride that horse, but that we were hoping to, to strike it rich. I did cover two Kentucky Derbies and I've got to get back there, even just as a fan, when they open it up fully, it's gonna be good. There's only like fifty thousand people there this time, which is nice, but not true Derby madness. And that infield is definitely worth a walk through. I, I encourage anyone uh, to walk through that. That is Woodstock. Uh, <laughs> at the races, there are tents and the people are in the tents. So, all right, well, this is a three-point range. 
once more. Uh, this is Mike Berardino, joined as always by Kimball Crosley and Tim Crothers, where we try to each pick a topic that will uh, interest us, and by extension, we hope interest you and make you think and make you laugh, cry, all that, pound the table, and hopefully listen again. And maybe you can check out our Substack, where there's three-point range inspired material, or our Facebook page, three-point range, where you can leave some thoughts and some some potential future topics. And of course, uh, you can listen to this on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor.fm, which is the place that gets us going each week. Once a week, we try to make sure we keep doing this because, um, well, well, we know it's a crowded universe out there in a podcast world, but and we know that you have choices in the podcast universe, but we thank you for choosing us at least this once. Our final topic uh, comes to you from the professor. Tim Crothers, what do you have this week? Well, I think I finally found a baseball so subject that Kimball can talk about, even though sometimes the ones that he can't talk about are even more fun. Um, but piggybacking on my point from a couple weeks ago about the shift and how it's basically gifting hits to MLB batters, but they, they don't want them, I think it's time for maybe more batters to start accepting those gifts. Please. I'm told... Um, that at 57, I am exactly the age of your average baseball fan. I know this has been disputed by you both, but That's I actually ridiculous. did the research this week, and it's true. That's there stupid. is a Street and Smith something or other will tell you that the average age is 57. I am 57, and I'm telling you, baseball is losing me. And here's why. Uh, through Sunday's games, and forgive the fact that I did some research, there are currently 27 qualifying hitters batting below 200 and the composite batting average across MLB is a pathetic 234 which if it keeps up for the whole season would be the worst average in MLB history ever worse than the dead ball era ever among the miserable are some pretty decent hitters like Eugenio Suarez 149 Francisco Lindor, 171. Albert Pujols, you may have heard of, 192. Charlie Blackman, not taking advantage of Coors Field at 198. Reigning AL MVP, Jose Abreu, finished fourth in the AL in batting average last year, 202. Mm. Reigning NL MVP, Freddie Freeman, second in the NL in batting average last year, 216. Uh, Jeff McNeil nearly won the batting title two years ago, 231. Meanwhile, MLB teams are averaging, get this, 7.71 hits total per game. Also on pace for the lowest in MLB history. Even worse than the 1968, you boys know, the year of the pitcher, when hitting was so bad they were compelled to lower the mound to try to help out these poor slobs at the plate. So, all I can say is thank God for Donnie Stevenson the savior of baseball. Now, some believe it or not, for those of you out there, Mike didn't doesn't actually know who Donnie Stevenson is. Uh, but and if, in case there's anyone else out there who's been living under a rock, Donnie Stevenson is the uh, fictional hitting consultant for the New York Mets. And uh, it just so happens that when Donnie Stevenson took over as the fictional hitting consultant on uh, Saturday, uh, the Mets were hitting 231 as a team. But in the last two games, 
They are under the tutelage of Donnie Stevenson. They are hitting 325, including a 17-hit barrage on Sunday against the Phillies. So, Donnie, for the love of Mario Mendoza, could you please help Edwin Rios, the Dodgers infielder who hit a respectable 250 in, in 77 at-bats last season, hasn't mustered a hit since April 13th. He is 0 for his last 27 and batting 0.85 for the season. Four for 47. Fortunately, or is it unfortunately, Rios has a kindred spirit in Toronto's starting catcher Danny Jansen, who wrapped out a hit on opening day back in March, another on April 7th, and then descended into an 0 for 35 abyss, tied for the longest hitless drought in team history. Jansen was 2 for 44 going into Sunday's game, before which I've learned that he consulted with none other than Donnie Stevenson. Jansen promptly wrapped out two knocks on Sunday to double his hit total for the season and raise his average from 0.45 to 0.83. Thank you, Donnie. Oh, if only Donnie Stevenson existed back in our wiffle ball days, Kimball might have actually gotten a hit off me. What do you think, boys? Kimball's muted himself. My, my problem in wiffle ball. Well, I was afraid. I was afraid. I thought this is a Come on baseball, back to us. Baseball topic is always scary, but wiffle ball I is told safe. you you were safe. Well, yeah. I was a little scared, but, but you know, you could always run into problems. But, yeah, my problems in wiffle ball were more on the mound than in the batter's box. But, yeah, no, it's, it's obviously, you know, uh, an issue in baseball is the ball not being in play, and, and we're seeing that with a lot of guys. But. It was funny the whole Donnie Henderson thing and and uh, Stevenson. Stevenson. Get it right. Yeah, right. Whatever. See the um, <laughs> but no, it was like I thought you were gonna make fun of like the, the I have a mental the idea of a mental baseball coach, but I think when it came to hitting, but I think that is a, a big part of it. And I was gonna give a shout out to a former colleague, Steve Springer, a former Norfolk Tide player and longtime minor leaguer. Got a, I think a cup of coffee in the base in the big leagues, but he is really quite the sort of the mental hitting guru and he's worked with a lot of players and I've listened to some of his tapes and it makes sense. But yeah, that I, that's what I thought they were referring to at first when I heard that uh, Alonzo making reference after the game last night. Uh, but that's all I'll say on this one, Mike, I, I don't know if you, you're gambling on any batting averages or. Well, you can, uh, you can, you can on, on draft. Uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't gotten to this. I haven't sunk to the depths of betting on the, the result of the next at bat, but they DraftKings gives you the multiple <laughs> outcomes and you can bet on the result of the very next at bat every time, just like they do in winter ball, right? They bet on every pitch in winter ball. So that's a bit much for me, but uh, two couple things. One is, as Tim was, was reminding me, as he was rattling off those uh, sub Mendoza line averages, uh, for listeners who don't recall this, and that's most of our, well, most of America anymore, doesn't remember how Associated Press on Sunday used to put out that agate. And early in our careers, I think all of us had to help uh, paginate that or, or make sure that uh, the agate was on the, uh, page five or something of the Durham Herald Sun and the American League all the way down one column, National League all the way down another column. And I think batters, in addition to the arbitration system, which doesn't reward batting average or counting stats like hits or anything like that anymore. Uh, it's all about the power and the OPS, etc. Uh, and win, a win uh, uh, war, I guess. 
well, as it should be overall. But don't you think hitters would take a little more pride in their average if they still had the somebody could come in there on a Sunday morning before the game and and, a, and the players around the clubhouse would be saying, "Look at you, you're way down there." That's how the Mendoza line got started. George Brett came up with that. He said, "You never want to be in, below Mario Mendoza on those AP Sunday morning uh, batting average lists." And I and I I just think that uh, the fact it's that that went away. It's staring at you on the jumbotron still, still yeah, these days. But it's, it's, still it's, it's about at you on the, the context. It's about the context and number just it's just a number on the jumbotron yes it's embarrassing but what's it really mean it's all about where am i in, co- in comparison to this idiot over here or especially my teammates so if you're hitting 165 you know that's horrible but at least you might be ahead of somebody else hitting 155 also it's very early it's it's still really early so let's not go too crazy about switching the, the height of the mound just yet let's let's let the season play out let's let things heat up a little bit uh, a lot of those balls that, that uh, carry only to the warning track now are just a couple of weeks away from, from going into the, the 10th row of the, of the bleachers. Um, well, do you have a solution, Tim, for this? I don't because I'll tell you what. We talk about the three three true outcomes. So I looked up and I, I was like, all right, well, maybe maybe everybody's just taking walks now because it's, cause that's, the, that's the, the wave. And even the OBP this year as it stands right now is the worst obp since since the year of the pitcher 1968 so even you know even if you factor in walks it's there's still ain't nobody getting on base and that and, makes for the dreariest freaking baseball game you could imagine we've spent so many so many podcasts sort of talking about all the things that baseball's tried to change to make themselves better but the bottom line is the reason it's so unwatchable is because Nobody's getting on base right now, and that is horrible. It it's is a, not it's unwatchable. A There's a great battle for the strike zone, and people follow it. But I, I, the thing I say, and no, I, I forget if we talked about this, but but one of the things that they're they're really trying to get at is is people putting substance on the ball where they can spin it better, and and that's a lot of what's happened in baseball the last few years is 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 manufacturing pitches and and really tailoring tailoring these pitches and crafting them and being able to spin the ball a certain way, that's what makes it so hard to hit and, um, and to barrel up. And that's become the game. And that's why there, you know, there's been some focus on collecting some balls and trying to like police better the, uh, um, if anyone is putting substance on the baseball and, and, and that's helping them spin it. And, and I think that makes sense, right? Like, I, I think that, that's a smart thing to try and attack. Um, I'm proud to say I never, I never doctored a wiffle ball against you, and you still didn't hit 200 <laughs> against me. It's already doctored. It's already got the holes. It's already got the damn holes. <laughs> That's like saying a baseball's already got the stitches. It's part of the ball. You got, That's you got true. to deal with that. That's true. The uh, yeah, it would be nice if they could uh, get the the players to the pitchers to follow the rules that have been uh, you know on the books about not putting illegal substances on the ball. A lot of the hitters you talk to though are like, well, you know, uh, it's I'd rather not get uh, thrown up and in if they can't control it, especially early in the season. The slicker ball or colder temperatures, all right, but uh, no doubt. Uh, I I think back to 2017, the World Series where Lance McCullers, shockingly through 26 straight curveballs, I believe it was. 26 straight curveballs for Houston as they won the World Series. And he was very effective doing that. He finished out, I believe, the final game. And um, and that just really drove home, it drove home the point that 
Houston, however they're doing, or they were doing it, Trevor Bauer likes to talk about it, everybody likes to talk about Houston, but at their apex, they were right out in front, and Kimball can't talk about any of this, but uh, they they were doing things to improve grip that made the curveball unhittable to the point where you, you could tell them it was coming, and you were not going to do anything about it, and there are some pitchers who are still doing that, and I covered Ryan Presley in Minnesota, and Ryan Presley struggled to get people out, even though he had plus stuff, and he gets to Houston, and he's a closer. So um, he has, and his spin rates are through the roof. So this all needs to be normalized. It is uh, one of the reasons that the hitting is so poor because the breaking stuff is so good. Um, Interesting I, that you mentioned the Astros and how you could tell them what was coming. That's right. Yeah. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't even mean to do that. We, we, mm-hmm. We're running short <laughs> on time, but thanks for picking that up. I, I will say that, um, and this is maybe another topic, but uh, kudos to Donnie Stevenson. Fine work by fictitious Donnie Stevenson. <laughs> other than just maybe James Rousen and a couple other hitting coaches I ever met, generally I think pitching coaches can impact their staff because it's it really it happens slow enough that they can get people to stay in their mechanics and, and there's enough strategy, et cetera. Hitting is just see ball, hit ball, over and over. They can talk all they want about approach. You can't be a guest hitter. That doesn't work. It really is just, and you can't even guide, you certainly can't guide it. There's no wee willy keeler stuff going on. Um, and so it's just happy accidents to, to, to a great extent. And so that's why so many of these guys are just swinging for the fence. Cause like if I happen to run into it, I want to hit it as hard and as far as I can. Not that I'm saying I like to watch that, but that's pretty much what's going on. It is trying to teach hitting. You might as well. Donnie Stevenson doesn't even exist. He's got about as much chance of impacting the game and his hitting, and his hitters as the guy that you might uh, as uh, Rudy Jaramillo, who was once the highest paid hitting coach in baseball. I mean, it's just really a lot of gobbledygook. Every time I've interviewed a hitting coach, pitching coaches, I think I think they really can impact the game. That's just my. My thought on that. And don't answer that, Kimball. Don't say a thing about it. Uh, all right. Well, that uh, for your own good. That's our show. Uh, thank you to the Professor Tim Crothers and the Scout Kimball Crosley and you for joining us for this uh, latest episode of Three Point Range. We'll be back next week. Hope you'll join us.